everybody! Welcome back to North Idaho Now. This is episode 174 for October 18th. Chance Watson bringing you the news today. This episode is brought to you by Hecla Mining Company. Hecla Mining Company is a leading low-cost silver producer with operating silver mines in Alaska, Idaho, and Mexico, and is a growing gold producer with operating mines in Quebec, Canada, and Nevada. They are the largest primary silver producer in the U.S., responsible for one-third of the silver produced in our nation. Their philosophy is to operate mines safely by promoting a deeply rooted value-based culture, leveraging mining skills developed over the company's long history, and by innovating new practices. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit HeclaMining.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hope you had a good weekend. I certainly did. I went off to Seattle. I mentioned this a little bit, I think, last week. Went off to Seattle to watch the Seattle Kraken in their home opener. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar, that is an NHL hockey team. Uh, Brand new to Seattle. Uh, Too bad that they are not so great. Uh, They struggled mightily against one one of my other favorite teams, the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, and went went down five to two in that end of that game. But you know what? It's always nice to to go out to the big city and check out, uh, see the lights and see the big buildings. And you know what? Uh, Climate Pledge Arena. That even though I certainly don't necessarily like the name, uh, the place is actually pretty cool. Um, going inside, the merch is great. Uh, the atmosphere is electric. It seems like people are has it, it for a weekend where Seattle fans, uh, Seattle sports fans, mostly had a rough weekend um, with the Kraken and the Mariners. Uh, well, the Seahawks pulled one out, but, uh, yeah, it was, there was a lot of energy there. A lot of people wanting some, some successful local sports there. And, uh, that energy was definitely apparent in the building. So I had a great time, great trip. Um, other than that, folks, I'm just looking forward to some cooler temperatures coming up. Uh, it has been unseasonably warm for the month of October, hoping that we can finally get into some actual stuff so I can start wearing some hoodies. Uh, definitely a big, big hoodie fan. It's the time of year to bust out the uh, the warmer, more comfy clothes. So looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, that's I think that's about it, folks. We're, uh, we're going to keep this episode uh, kind of short today, just kind of get right into the headlines, you know, so you don't have to hear me ramble for the, you know, five first five, ten minutes here uh, and just jump right into it. So without further ado. Home of the lowest prices in all things outdoors since 1975, Black Sheep Sporting Goods is your one-stop shop for all your camping, fishing, hunting, and clothing needs. Open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out Black Sheep's new location in the Silver Lake Mall. Be sure to grab an entry form for any cashier to Black Sheep's annual Big Game event. A Big Game entry must be harvested between August 31st and December 24th, 2022. Prizes will be awarded by random drawing. Size of rack doesn't determine a winner or and the entry must meet all state and federal laws. Black Sheep Sporting Goods, award-winning selection and customer service since 1975. Takes into Coeur d'Alene Post Falls Press headlines for Saturday, October 15th. Headline, former teacher sentenced to life. This is by Kay Thorndrew. A former teacher received a life sentence Thursday for the, quote, horrific sexual abuse of two children. Ronald D. Stone, 64, was convicted in June on of two counts of lewd conduct with a minor under the age of 16. First District Judge Cynthia Meyer sentenced Stone to life in prison, the maximum penalty. He will be eligible for parole in 30 years when he is 94 years old. Quote, I have never heard allegations worse than these, Meyer said before handing down the sentence. The abuse was not connected to Stone's former employment as a fifth grade teacher at Hayden Meadows Elementary School. That doesn't make it any more concerning, I suppose. After his arrest in 2019, the Coeur d'Alene School District placed Stone on administrative leave. Parents and guardians of Hayden Meadows students also received a letter notifying them of the arrest. 
Two victims, who are now adults, testified at trial to abuse that occurred between 1992 and 2006. They were between the ages of 3 and 15 when Stone abused them. The women addressed the court Thursday before Stone's sentence was read, describing how the years of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse have affected them. Quote, He caused me a lifetime of pain, one woman said. He took a quiet, impressionable, and loving child and twisted me for his own sexual gratification. Prosecuting attorney Rebecca Perez noted that Stone had a reputation as a good man before his arrest. He was a teacher and a leader at his church community. Perez said the contrast between his public and private lives illustrates the insidious nature of sexual abuse. Quote, sexual abuse of a child occurs in secret behind closed doors when there is not a church gathering or a full classroom, she said. At trial, Stone denied the allegations for which he was convicted. He chose not to speak in court before sentencing. His attorney, James Sieb, maintained that the allegations were false and said there was no need to imprison Stone for the protection of society. Meyer rejected the notion that the victims lied. Quote, I can't imagine making up these stories, she said, weeping during the telling, exposing what were the most shameful periods of these women's lives. If you or someone you know is in North Idaho is experiencing domestic violence or sexual abuse, call Safe Passage Violence Prevention Center's 24-hour hotline. That hotline number is 208-664-9303. Yeah, definitely not a good guy here. Sounds like he's getting just what he deserves. And, uh, hey, if you are in this type of situation or if you've experienced this, there are resources available. There is help. Moving on, Cougar reported in Dalton Gardens. This is by Bill Bewley. Wonder what uh, Marissa Tomei was doing in Dalton Gardens. Ha <laughs> ha! Marissa Tomei. Wonderful actress. Love her. Jeff Fletcher's dogs generally sleep through the night, so when they started going crazy at about 1 a.m. last Friday, he got up and let them outside perhaps a deer, as they often jump into his yard. A few minutes later, they barked again, and he let them back in. Quote, I didn't think anything of it, he said. Later that morning, preparing to go for a bike ride, he walked out to his shop. Then he saw the dead deer next to the side of the shop. It was between trash cans and, a pin- and pins against the fence. Fletcher saw bite marks on the side of its neck and wounds on the shoulder and head. Quote, it looked like a cougar killed it and was trying to get it back up over the fence out of the yard, he said. He believes his dogs lightly spooked the big cat before it could complete its tasks and left. Fletcher contacted Fish and Game about the incident before disposing of the carcass. Later, he posted about it on Facebook, saying, quote, Not post, uh, posting to be, a, to be pro-deer, anti-cougar, or anything else besides to let neighbors know there is a hungry kitty in the area. Several people responded and said that they saw a cougar around Dalton Gardens before and after the incident. Some also mentioned missing cats and chickens over the years. One person wrote the cougar has been around the area for years. Quote, that kitty has been there since 2015. Nothing new. Seen it dozens of times. TJ Ross, fishing game spokesman in the Panhandle region, uh, he was just recently on the show, said he and two other officers had not heard about the incident. Quote, however, both officers commented it would be it would not be highly abnormal for a mountain lion to make it make it into Dalton Gardens area to hunt for deer. He added that they have received reports of this in the past. Ross said Dalton Gardens is on the margin of wilderness and deer are abundant. Yeah, the story goes on a little bit uh, to talk about uh, previous initiatives, you know, uh, hiring professional bow hunters to thin out the deer in Dalton Gardens. Uh, That's never gone anywhere. Uh, Growing up in the area, I've got family that live in Dalton Gardens or in that that general area. Uh, Yeah, there is a lot of deer there and they definitely uh, believe they are domesticated in many, in many, uh, in many cases. Moving on, Civic Minded Student Project. This is by Joseph Snow. 
It's been just over eight months since North Idaho STEM Charter Academy students were given a $10,000 grant by the Rathroom City Council and Hayden Homes Foundation. Academy students Catherine Rocco, Riley Foots, Ryan Wood, and Talon McCarthy were awarded the grant to fund an extension of Storm King, a nine-hole disc golf course on Rathrum Mountain. STEM Academy students worked with volunteers including teachers, family, mem- family, members of the North Idaho Disc Golf Club, and Inland Northwest Flyers. Together, they carved out trails, extensions, and upgraded the course to an official 18 holes. Quote, as an educator and one that teaches civics, this is a gift from heaven, said Dave Johnson, academy instructor. Quote, it's one thing to teach students the Constitution, but to put that lesson in a more local project, that's priceless. Quote, we were approached by Leon Deuce, city administrator, said Johnson. And quote, he proposed that the city wanted to engage students in the whole community in civic-minded projects. Johnson presented students with the beautification com- uh, competition Deuce inter- uh, introduced, Deuce introduced, and students presented a series of ideas to put before the council. When their project won, Johnson merged his class to involve all of his students, and he invited school staff to participate in the project. Jensen Eldenberg science teacher and disc golf club leader for the Inland Northwest Flyers, was instrumental in evolving work on the course. The disc golf community naturally came together to further work on the new course. The North Idaho Disc Golf Club worked on the original Storm King course over the last few years, and club members were eager to help build the addition. Quote, I've been doing a ton of work with course improvements and course upgrades, said Jason Peterson, president of the North Idaho Disc Golf, but Eldenberg has been spearheading the work for this extension. The golf course will be open to the public Monday. Over the weekend, volunteers are clearing remaining longs and debris which will be mulched and added to paths to complete the project for the season. The Storm King course is nestled on Rathrum Mountain, where you can alternately hear the stream, occasional bird calls, and insect noises. It treks through steep inclines and hot sun mixed with cool, winding paths. The new Westwood course extends along the creek. At times, it feels both exposed to the elements or secluded and cozy. An additional phase will improve the added holes next spring, weather permitting, when the city and volunteers pour cement uh, cement tea pads and add signage. The STEM leadership team is developing signs to offer as sponsorship opportunities. Signs will cost $300 every two years and will show the course map besides sponsor logos. Maintenance costs can include relocating pins to vary the course, updating sponsorship signs, or possible repairs to the tea pads. The STEM Academy students have about $1,600 remaining from the original grant. They've set that aside for mulching costs this weekend and to cover costs of the cement tea pads next spring. Any balance to complete the pads will be covered by the city. A little more information on here. This is more of an edited version. Definitely an in-depth look by by Joseph Snow here. Um, I, You know what? I love frisbee golf. Uh, it's it's one of those pastimes that I wish I was a little more into. I remember going when I was younger with uh, some hockey friends. We went to Farragut State Park, and that was that was a good time. So uh, I think I think maybe this story will inspire me to uh, to get back out to the, the the frisbee golf course, disc golf rather. Moving on, Sunday, October sixteenth. Headlines. Headline, Connecting Threads of History. This by Devin Weeks. Oh, this is a good story, Devin. A curious painting is on the wall in the Post Falls Museum. Quote, everybody thinks it's a picture hanging. 
Post Falls Historical Society board member and museum volunteer Ted Fredekine said Thursday, quote, they don't realize it's part of the wall. The partial painting was discovered beneath the sheet rock in 2009 when the Historical Society moved into the building. It shows what appears to be a person with an arm lifted just above the head. The face is not visible. Quote, it has orange and black clothing, said Kim Brown, Post Falls Historical Society president. It's probably something associated with students. Freda Kine said they can't decide whether the person is fencing or dancing. Quote, he's got that pose, he said, and the clothes don't tip you off either. They theorize it was painted in the 1950s when the building was used as a dance hall called The Hut after the original Post Falls High School burned down during Christmas break. Back to the mural, who painted it? What is it of? Someone must know the story. The Chapin Building at 101 East 4th Avenue, where the museum and mystery mural are housed, is a treasure trove of stories. Members of the Historical Society are seeking even more Chapin Building community stories and memories as they prepare a celebration for its 100-year anniversary in 2023. The stories will serve as data to be included with a National Register of Historic Places nomination, an objective that has been in the works for some time. The goal is to have as much of the process done by the time the museum opens for the 2023 season in May. The last day the museum will be open for the 2022 season is October 29th. Before the Chapin Building existed, Post Falls founder Fred Post owned the land. Prior to that, it belonged to the Coeur d'Alene tribe. Quote, we try to imagine what happened before, which always goes back to the Coeur d'Alene tribe and their small village here, Brown said. The Chapman Building is one of the last historical buildings left in town. Quote, we're excited to st- we still have the building, Brown said. It's probably the oldest commercial building in Post Falls. Brown said collecting the stories and memories of this building and the people associated with it is increasingly important as Post Falls' population booms. Quote, we're happy reorganizing all of these little threads. We're trying to preserve and connect people with those threads so they can feel the march of time, she said. Quote, we have some old timers in here the other day who said, quote, we can't recognize the town. Everything is changing so quickly. It's important we connect those dots because our newer residents, if they don't know the history, they can't feel it and they can't tie themselves to where they are living. Email PF historical, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-I-C-A-L at roadrunner.com to submit Chapin Building memories, stories, and artifacts. Visit the Post Falls Museum during the Post Falls Historical Society Fall Fundraiser from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday. Admission is $5. The event includes a silent auction, a cakewalk, games held in front of uh, a uh, handheld Frito pie, and of course, the museum's collection of Post Falls history. Uh, quick story on this. I do remember going in there when it was a police station. Uh, by the way, this story is it is absolutely fantastic. I, I definitely recommend uh, history buffs and just locals alike from Post Falls. Check out this the full version of this story. Uh, edited it down quite a bit. bit. Devin got some great historical context um, going back, diving into the, the, the background of this. Uh, definitely did a good job on it. Uh, I remember going into there when I was very young, uh, when it was still a police station. They used to have a a shadow box that was hanging on the wall uh, that would show you what all the at the time all drug paraphernalia looked like so you know marijuana pipes uh, needles uh, all all of that kind of stuff it was it was actual like evidence or you know old stuff that they had confiscated and put into this box so the public could see what it was it was very interesting that that memory one of those core memories that sticks with you as you get older moving on monday october 17th headline Council invites feedback on police levy. This by Joseph Snow. 
Hayden City Council is hosting a public forum October 26th on a police levy that would raise property taxes. Quote, staff will provide information to the public and the public will have the opportunity to ask questions they have about the ballot measure, said Abby Sanchez, Hayden City Clerk. We are encouraging the public to submit their questions ahead of time so that the staff is prepared with information needed to answer them during the meeting. If approved, the levy would increase the Hayden Police budget by nearly $600,000 to $2,438,862. It would provide funding to hire five new sheriff's deputies and one school resource officer. They would be in addition to the four deputies currently on staff, more than doubling the current force. The city levy will be on the November 8th ballot for Hayden residents and, if passed, would pay the officer salaries, but the county would take responsibility for the cost of onboarding, including training, vehicles, gear, and other expenses related to the initial hiring process. Lieutenant Zachary Sifford, public information officer with the sheriff's office, discussed the cost of the levy to the property owners. Quote, it's an estimated $6.76 per month on a property assessed at $500,000, Sefford said. If you're talking about the cost of a coffee a month to provide good officers, your service, and community safety. The city, of, the city council was advised by an independent task force to increase police presence in the city. The 15 members voted unanimously to put a levy on the ballot despite their concerns it might not pass. Quote, the Hayden budget is not sustainable, said Nancy Jones, Citizen Task Force spokeswoman. The Citizen Task Force was given the opportunity to review the Hayden City budget in great detail, and the simple fact is, is that there is no way for Hayden to support more law enforcement without an increase in the levy amount. The City Council was able to increase the police contract to include supplemental hires in the upcoming fiscal year, but those are non-permanent funds. That position will be unfunded by the budget end. The only legal way to make that change permanent, though, is through a voter-approved override levy. Quote, you never have two deputies on in Hayden at any time, said Kootenai County Sheriff Bob Norris. Quote, I'm compromising law enforcement in other areas of this county to abide by a contract that I inherited. I am telling you as the sheriff of this county that I want, want to be your police department, but I can't compromise police officers all the time for deputy sheriffs coming into this city. Because there are never two officers on staff at any time in Hayden, officers have to wait for available backup from other areas in the county. Quote, county residents are subsidizing the cost of the Hayden officers, Sifford said. Quote, so we're buying guys in from Worley and Bayview. We're straining the county resources. Crime rates have remained relatively stagnant in Hayden, according to data reviewed by the task force. The sheriff's office maintains that because crime rates are going down and population is going up, there are disconnects between the statistics and reality. Quote, officers don't have time to do proactive work where you're going to find your drugs, Sifford said. Community safety, officer safety, and quicker response times are the priorities for having additional staff. You know, we've been talking about the... Uh, Law enforcement staffing issues in Hayden for quite a while now here on the show. Uh, it sounds like we might, uh, well, it's going to eventually wrap up one way or the other here in November. That's going to be up to the voters of Hayden, though. Andy's Heating and Cooling has been selling and installing furnaces, air conditioners, fireplaces, barbecues, and much more in new and existing homes since 1972. Fifty years later, Andy's Heating and Cooling is still doing business the old-fashioned way with a handshake. Come and visit Andy's showroom at 7800 North Government Way in Coeur d'Alene, which features all the latest wood-fired stoves, pellet stoves, and gas stoves from Quadrifier, Heatilator, Heat and Glow and heat and glow, rather. Andy's also carries the big green egg smokers and grills. Call them today at 208-772-4570. Takes into Tuesday, October 18th headlines. Headline, 
Hawker. Levy needed in perpetuity. This is by Bill Billy. The Coeur d'Alene School District may ask voters to approve a $25 million per year maintenance and operations levy, quote, in perpetuity. That means uh, forever, everybody, if you didn't know that. <laughs> it may also propose a school plant facilities levy up to $5 million a year for five years. As it stands, the district's M&O levy must go, go to voters every two years. Its current two-year levy is for $20 million. I was almost going to say $2 million? No, $20 million a year. Superintendent Sean Hawker and other district administrators outlined financial needs and recommendations to meet those needs to the school board during a workshop Monday. Hawker said it's extremely challenging to worry that every two years the district could lose part of its budget should voters say no. That's understandable. About 23% of the district's operating budget comes from the annual $20 million levy. If the levy was approved in perpetuity, it wouldn't be necessary for the district to seat 50% of voter approval every two years. Quote, that will allow us to keep our programs, Hawker said during the 70-minute meeting at Woodland Middle School. The board is scheduled to meet November 7th unless it calls a special meeting before then to, to discuss whether to have the proposals to go to voters in March and the appropriate ways to present them. In August, voters rejected the district's $80 million 10-year safety and maintenance levy, which needed 55% approval to pass. It fell short as 5,381 people, or 50.27%, voted to approve the levy request, while 5,323, or 49.73%, voted against it. Hawker said a school plant facilities levy of up to $5 million a year for five years would not address all their needs, but it would be a step in the right direction. If both levies were approved, the owner of a home valued at 541146 that's a mouthful, would be paying a total of about $575 a year to the Coeur d'Alene School District. That would be about $145 increase from the current amount. Mike Nelson, deputy superintendent, said administrators would like to increase classified salary starting pay to $15 per hour, as well as make other salary improvements, which would cost about $2.5 million. The district currently starts more than 500 employees at under $15 an hour. Administrators are also proposing to increase certified salary by 5%, which would cost about $2.3 million. In Idaho, a starting teacher makes the same salary after three years, even when an extra earning 10 extra education credits each year. In 2022-2023, the district experienced a teacher turnover rate of about 15%. Yeah, uh, looking at other stats, folks, we all know the rages, uh, wages are going up because of, you know, pick your poison, pick whatever reason you want, inflation or whatnot. Uh, I don't know about you, but starting anyone under $15 an hour, it's tough to make a living on that. Moving on, I-90 plan rolling along. A plan to widen and improve Interstate 90 between Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls will be outlined at tonight's Coeur d'Alene City Council meeting. Erica Bowen, project manager with the Idaho Transportation Department, will explain efforts to modernize the I-90 corridor from Highway 41 to US-95, quote, to improve safety, capacity, and mobility for current and future travel demands. According to the Idaho Transportation Department, the changes would result in more lanes to accommodate growth, longer ramps with better visibility, improve response time to crashes, better access to local roads, and additional bike and pedestrian facilities. As it stands, the project is in the planning, planning stages with the goals to complete preliminary designs by year's end and approve corridor recommendations next year, according to ITD. 
Construction, which would take an estimated two to three years, would not begin for a few years, perhaps 2025. Three open houses are scheduled as well. The first is 4 to 7 p.m. November 1st at Red Lion Templin's Hotel in Post Falls. Another is set for 4 to 7 p.m. November 2nd at the Best Western Plus Court Lane Inn, while other pre- uh, presentations are set for November 1st to the 15th at itdprojects.org forward slash I-90 corridor. With traffic conditions congested now and volumes expected to double by 2045, ITD is studying I-90 from Washington State Line to Coeur d'Alene. The study will evaluate needs and identify potential solutions like additional lanes and reconfigured interchanges to improve safety, capacity, mobility, ITD said. Can't wait for more construction, folks. I just love it so much, and I know you do too. On those busy school nights with hours of sports practice and dance class when you just don't have time to make dinner, your local McDonald's has got the whole family covered. Whether you get a Happy Meal with Chicken McNuggets for the kids or a Big Mac for the adults, dinner is sure to be quick, easy, stress-free, and satisfying. Your locally owned and operated McDonald's is located at 820 West Cameron Avenue in Kellogg. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. That takes us north into the Bonner County Daily Beyond a Sandpoint for Saturday, October 15th. Headline, ISP pleads for help in fatality. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. Idaho State Police are asking the public for help in connection to a fatal hit-and-run in Old Town last week. Dakota James LaFontaine, 23, of Newport, Washington, was charged on October 12th with second-degree murder, two counts of aggravated battery, and a count of leaving the scene of an accident in which a three-year-old girl, critically injuring her and two-year-old brother and seriously injuring her grandmother. ISP investigators are seeking information in connecting with the the October 7th collision in the area of 7th Street and Meadow Meadowdale Avenue in Old Town. Investigators said they are seeking contact from anyone with information or who may have seen or had contact with Dakota James LaFontaine or his vehicle on the date of the incident. Quote, if you believe you may have seen this individual and or vehicle in your area, please contact the Idaho State Police, ISP official said in a press release. Investigators are interested in any home security camera or doorbell camera footage that may have captured his movements either on foot or in his vehicle in the area before and after the crash event. They asked the area residents and business owners residing within the marked red map area uh, in order to see the map. Check out the story in the Bonner County Daily Bee, either on their website or in the print edition. To please review and save any footage that they have from the afternoon of October 7th and notify the Idaho State Police with any information that may have been captured regarding this individual. Anyone driving through the marked yellow map, also check out the map, who is available to review or recover video captured at any time on the afternoon of October 7th is encouraged to contact the agency. Investigators can be reached at 208-209-8686. Sad situation, folks. Uh, I think ISP might uh, be using that footage as uh, evidence in a, in, a, in a trial of sorts coming up, especially since he's being charged with counts of murder. Moving on, After the Fire. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. An area burned emergency response team has begun assessing the main area of Kootenai River Complex to determine post-fire recovery needs. Quote, the BAER team looks at water and soil impacts, erosion potential, vegetation issues, archaeology, and more to decide what needs to be done to help the forest recover, Bonners Ferry Ranger District official said in a press release. Equipment remains in place around many properties west of West, West Side Road, which could still be impacted by the fire. Quote, firefighters test these systems regularly 
significantly to ensure they are working, Ranger District officials said. The control lines continue to hold as the fire reaches them in some areas. In addition, helicopters are dropping water to slow fire spread where necessary. Rehabilitation work also continues on some equipment lines, including receding, installing water bars to control erosion, and using excavators to pull lines back into some areas. The fire sparked by lightning in August has burned about 23,970 acres. A total of 48 fire personnel are assigned and officials said goals, which should help contain the complex, have risen to 87%. Those gains have allowed officials to lift trail closures on McGinty Ridge and Clifty Mountain and Clifty Burrows. Uh, Clifty Borough, rather. Uh, however, Ranger District officials advise anyone traveling to those areas to use caution as there is still some fire on the landscape and they may encounter associated hazards. While tremendous strides have been made on the fire, Ranger District officials said fire remains on the landscapes. Quote, but the threat is reduced from earlier in the season due to shorter delays, lower temperatures, and higher humidity, they added. Expect to see continued smoke until the snow falls or significant rain occur. While a temporary flight restriction over the Kotka fire has been removed, a TFR over the Russell, fire, Russell Mountain fire remains. Moving on, Tuesday, October 18th headlines, SCA seeks review of Coolin Fill Operation. This is by Daniel Radford. The Selkirk Conservation Alliance is calling on the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to revisit a fill operation it permitted, permitted rather, in the Coolin Wetland System this summer. In the comment, filed October 12th, SCA Director Amy Anderson called on the Corps to overturn its July 29th approval of a residential fill operation for 1,500 cubic yards of rock and gravel on a .315-acre parcel in the Class One wetland. Anderson said the alliance only found out about the Corps' approval of the application via a FOIA request and said the request was not posted on the agency's website. Anderson also criticized the Corps' failure to notify the Idaho Department of Fish and Game officials throughout the process. Quote, the Corps was required to coordinate and consult with IDFG as a condition of permit review and did not, Anderson said. Also of concern, Anderson said, was the applica applicant had applied for the permit under two different permit types and that the Corps, Corps failed to allow for adequate public interest review. IDFG has identified the Coolin wetland system in several documents as an important ecological feature, even deeming it as one of the two Class I wetlands in the state of Idaho due to its richness, rarity, condition, and viability. In his application, David Gravel of Code Red Consulting said that filing in at least some of the property is necessary. Quote, approximately 17% of the five-acre parcel is proposed to be filled. Efforts were made to reduce the size and dimensions of the filling operation, Gravel said. The proposed development is for a shop and a driveway on the parcel, all to be constructed on the filled-in area. Anderson said that wetland banking should not be considered for this site, quote, due to the extremely high habitat richness, rarity, condition, and viability of the system. Exchanging any part of this wetland for wetland acreage in the Valencia wetlands is like exchanging a gold ring for an aluminum one. Boy, oh boy, that's a, that's a powerful comparison. America's gold and silver-owned Galena Mine in Wallace, Idaho, is currently accepting applications for a variety of positions, both above and underground. America's gold and silver offers competitive wages, a full employee benefit package, which includes medical, dental, vision, life, and disability insurance, PTO, 401k, and a pension plan. To apply for the many positions at the Galena Mine, visit www.americasgold.com forward slash careers. Takes us into Shoshone News Press headlines to finish out the show. Headlines from Tuesday, October 18th. 
Headline, FORC utilizes, that's F-O-R-C as in an acronym, F-O-R-C, utilizes new retrieval vessel for river cleanup. This is by myself. Friends of the River Coalition recently took to the water in a new piece of equipment that will allow them to remove copious amounts of litter from our local waterways. Fork founder Don Wixton told the news press that the Fork Retrieval Vessel, a.k.a. the USS Tired, went on its maiden voyage on October 9th and yielded nearly 1,500 pounds of tires and debris from the North Fork of the Coeur d'Alene River. The recent acquisition of the retrieval vessel came about after last year's cleanup operation. Quote, last year the cleanup within the river was difficult due to the intense manpower being required to hook, hoist, and land that the many hundreds of pounds of tires and other items within the waters and on the banks, Wixton said. She explained that Fork board member Sid Clark that then spent untold hours thinking about a better way to conduct the cleanup. Quote, his years of mechanical engineering, manufacturing road equipment, and forestry engineering made for an incredible creation. With the help of Fork Vice President Rob Archer, member Bill Harris, Castaway Fishing Guide Ken Beck, and Will Benning of Row Adventures, the 14-foot cartacraft, carta raft, rather, I think it's either carta raft or cartacraft, carta raft, was equipped with a tower, winch, and slide-off decks to, a- to aid in the debris retrieval process in deep and swift water. As for materials and funding for the craft, National Rafting Supply in Moscow, Idaho, worked with Clark's design and provided the needed parts at rates well below market value. Dave Smith Motors also donated $5,000 to see the vessel come to life. Not only did the new vessel help in pulling out more waste than in years past, but it also allowed Fort to do it in less time and with less watercraft. The vessel has the capability of assisting throughout the stink for many types of retrieval situations, including drownings. From its start two years ago to its work today to remove any and all material within the river hurting our fish habitat and public health, the coalition never stops fighting for the best interests of the residents and visitors to the Silver Valley Recreational Districts, Wixton said. She added that Fork is doing its part to also provide dumpsters along the North Fork during the summer season and hopes to offer much more in years to come. For more information on the Friends of the River Coalition, join their Facebook group page. Yeah, it's a good story. Um, group, uh, good group with a good cause. Keeping our river, keeping the water clean. Nothing wrong with that at all, right? If you're looking for a refreshing locally made beer, check out Radio Brewing at 319 Main Street in Uptown Kellogg. The tap room is open seven days a week. They offer delicious craft beer and awesome snack and food options. To learn more, visit RadioBrewingCompany.com. Radio Brewing, put radio in your mouth hole. Last story for the day, folks. We're going to leave it on a lighthearted note. Annual Kellogg Library book sale starts Thursday. This is by Molly Roberts. The author George R.R. R. Martin wrote in his novel, A Dance with Dragons, a quote, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. For locals who want to live a thousand lives, the Kellogg Public Library has its annual book sale later this week with hundreds of paperback and hardback books, audiobooks, DVDs, and more up for grabs. Quote, we have close to 2,000 books for sale this year, said library director Danny Boylan. The library has books for sale throughout the year, but the annual book sale is a chance for the library to display and sell them in mass. The library also uses the money to organize events and programs from the community like creativity classes, journaling, story time, and much more. Quote, last year's revenue from the sale helped us put more events and programs on than we ever have in the past, said Johnson. All genres will be well represented during the sale, meaning that there is something for everyone. Quote, we will have adult fiction, young adult fiction, juvenile fiction, nonfiction, and children's books. Some popular authors that will be for sale are James Patterson, Daniel Steele, William Johnstone, Nora Roberts, and many more. There will also be audiobooks and DVDs for sale, Johnson told the press. 
For more information on the Kellogg Public Library, you can sign up for the monthly newsletters to be aware of the library's programs, recently added titles, free resources at kellogg.lili.org, or visit the Kellogg Public Library Facebook page. Paperbacks will be sold for $0.25 and hardbacks for $0.50. Audiobooks and DVDs will be sold for $1. And on Saturday, bags of books will be sold for $1. The book sale will take place October 20th to the 21st from 12.30 to 5.30 p.m. and October 22nd from 11 to 2. Once again, we'd like to thank Hecla Mining Company for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit them at heclamining.com. All right, everybody, that's it for today. Please like, comment, and share all of our stuff on social media. If you listen to us on a podcatcher or a music app like Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, rather, Spotify, whatever it may be. Give us a like and follow and share on there, or a like and follow and a subscription, rather. I don't think you can share it. Well, you could also share the show. You could also do that. That might apply. And leave a nice review so we can uh, get a little, get more noticed, and uh, that'll that'll boost my self-esteem. Uh, also, check if you're interested in the stories we talked about today or the ones we did not, check us out at www.com. CoeurDelanePress.com, ShoshoNewsPress.com, BonnerCountyDailyBee.com, or TheBonnersFerryHerald.com. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Friday.